I'm going to preach to you today uh, about getting my mom her first tattoo, and that's going somewhere. Um, you can imagine my surprise when I'm at my home and my mom, very, I got I to gotta just really set this up, East Coast conservative woman, very conservative. I mean, saved at a later age in life, um, found Jesus and just radically got in on grace, was like, how could God forgive a person like me? This is amazing. And um, very strict, very, very strict. I mean, you didn't mess around with mom and the rules and following God. If it was in the Bible, we obeyed it. If there was any confusion, we'd go to the pastor. I mean, she's reading. She's like, kids, I don't think we can eat shellfish anymore. I read it in my devotions. We'll ask the pastor, you know. Uh, you know. She'd be like, okay, I don't think we can have wool and cotton clothes mixed together. You know, we got we to gotta go in and check it out. I mean, that, very serious. Just, and, and just so you can imagine when she comes to me and says, Rob, you need to get me uh, my first tattoo. You got to take me to get a tattoo. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, I'm being punked by my staff, right? That's what they're doing. And she goes, no, you need to get me my first tattoo. I'm like, no, there's no way. I mean, again, you got to know, seriously, I, I cannot convey to you enough how strict my mom was. I mean, she was like, you love Jesus Christ. Our household loves Jesus Christ. And you will never deny Jesus Christ, ever. You are going to stand for Jesus. So I'm getting ready to go to school, first grade. And she's like, don't ever deny Christ. Today, when you're at the bus stop, if they want you to deny Christ, don't you, den you stand strong for Christ. I'm like, okay. She's like, even if they want to cut your tongue out, you don't deny Christ. I'm like, do they do that? And I was terrified at school, you know, like, uh, yeah. That's my mom, okay? Don't deny Christ. Stand up for Jesus. Uh, follow the rules. Um, I'll never forget, she said, I, I bought you something so you could stand up for Jesus today at school. And I was like, Really? What, what is that, Mom? And she said, I bought you a button. And I was like, oh, okay. And she pulls it out of the bag. It's like this big. And it has this like cartoon guy going like this. And it says, I'm a Jesus people. Like that. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm not wearing that to school. She goes, hey, if you are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you. I was like, okay. And what made it worth it, it had a, a leather strap on the button. Like, you know, so I was like walking into school. And I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus. Okay, you get in the picture? And so I'm at school, and the teacher's like, that's a nice button. I'm like, I'm not ashamed. All right, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Halfway through the day, another kid came up to me, and he's like, Psst, hey, I uh, just want to let you know I'm a Christian. I was like, you want to wear the button? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, I didn't wear that button. I said, hey, if you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. He wore the button the second half of the day. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> he wore the button. That's, okay, that's my family. Strict, strict, strict. Don't miss church. We are there every service, pray, devotions at breakfast. This is our family. And so mom's like, I need a tattoo. I got to have a tattoo. And, and I'm like, there's just no way. Mom, why do you want a tattoo? And she starts to cry. She says, I am a widow. She said, I've lost your dad. And she said, everybody in my life knows that I love Jesus. Jesus has done so much amazing for me. He's forgiven me of my sins. And I, I, I've run out of people to talk to. Everybody in my senior building knows that I love Jesus. And I just, if I don't talk about Jesus, I'm going to die. I got to talk about Jesus. And I thought if I got a tattoo, if people looked at the tattoo, I could talk to them. And it would, it would open up new people for me to talk to about Jesus. And tears are rolling down her face. And I'm looking at her like, how in the world can I reconcile this? Like she never allowed us to have tattoos. And I'm not too fond of them. Although I'm not, I don't think they're theologically wrong. I just didn't embrace them. And I'm like, how do I do this? And 
And, and then I realized, you know, Jesus with his own mother, she's like, hey, these people have run out of wine at the banquet. It's an embarrassment. And he said, it's not my time. It's not my time to do a miracle. And she said, do something. And then he had to obey her and, you know, turn the water into wine. So I figured if Jesus had to obey his mom, I'm obeying mine, all right? <laughs> so I'm going to get her tattoo. That's the best I came up with, all right? So I bring her into the tattoo parlor and they think that I'm there like, and I need my mom's sign off. Like, hey, dude, you don't need your mom. You know, like, it's all good. I'm like, no, it's her. Yeah. She goes to get her first tattoo. How many want to see a picture of my mom? Go, all right, go ahead and throw this up there. Throw up the picture of my mom with Viper. That's his name. Viper. Okay. Now go ahead and show the close-up of her wrist. Okay, so all right, so you see the close-up of her wrist. So she gets this tattoo there. And again, I'm not starting a tattoo revolution here. Okay, but she gets this, and it stands for I belong to Jesus. Okay, she didn't want WWJD because she figured everybody knew that. So she thought I would just do IBTJ. So she gets her tattoo, and she walks like out of the tattoo chair and goes right up to three people that are obviously not getting church tattoos. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> And she goes, I got my first tattoo. She goes, look at it, look at it. It's, you know what it stands for? And they're like, ah. Uh. And she goes, I belong to Jesus. To you, to you, to you. You need to know Jesus. And she, right there, she's just doing that. And so if you even look at her tattoo, if she even thinks you looked at her tattoo, she's like, oh, did you look at my, did you see that? Do you know what it stands for? And they're like, ah. Uh. I mean, everybody. One lady, she said, uh, you want to guess what it stands for? And the lady goes, I've been to jail? You know, she's like, <laughs> she's trying to figure it out. Okay. So she's talking to everybody about Jesus, okay? And again, I'm not saying you have to get a tattoo, but I want you to catch this. It, it gripped me when she said, if I don't talk about Jesus and how good he's been, I'm going to die. I've got to talk to people about Jesus. He's been so good to me. He forgave me of all my sins. My mom was an unwed single mom and gave her baby up for adoption. My mom was involved in the party scene. My mom was, you know, all these things going on. And she's like, God forgave me. God set me free. He gave me hope and a future. And she goes, if I don't talk about Jesus, I'm going to die. My question to you is, if you don't talk about Jesus, would it even bother you? Would it even bother you? Or would you say, if I don't talk about Jesus this week, I'm going to die. If I don't find somebody to invite to church, if I don't find somebody to tell about how good Jesus is, it's just, he's been so good to me, I've got to talk about Jesus. Now, if you're like most churches, most churches, this is true, they've done surveys of most churches in the world. Within two years, most Christians have stopped talking about Jesus. Oh, they'll talk to Jesus about uh, him in their life groups and to other friends that are Christians, but they've stopped inviting people to church. They've stopped talking about how good Jesus is. When they first get saved, how many know you want to buy a Bible for Christmas for everybody? You're like, you need a Bible, you need to get saved, you need Jesus. But all of a sudden you start to think, you know, like, all right, I got this Christian thing. Pretty soon you have no more friends that don't know Jesus. You have all Christian friends, and you think that's a good thing that you've replaced all your friends. You start to love the amenities of church. You start to love all the things that church offers. And there's nothing wrong with men's ministry and women's ministry and, and, and life groups and different things that are going on. But they're value adds. They're not the main thing. They're not the main thing. And most Christians, two years, that's all it is, and they stop talking about Jesus. But the Bible is very clear. Very, very clear. Mark 16 says this. 
Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe it will be condemned. It says it right there. We believe that if you believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you have eternal life. The bad side of that, though, is if you don't, the Bible says you're condemned. I wish I could, like, scratch that out, but I can't. It's true. We actually believe that there's an eternal separation for people that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And those of us that know him should be out there telling those people and helping them to know that there's hope in Jesus. That if he'd forgive you, he'd forgive them. We're supposed to be out there sharing our faith. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, again, very familiar. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's right there. It's right there. And yet we lose our passion within two years. And then we try to do things that are nice. And I love nice things. Don't get me wrong. I am loving that you're doing the Convoy of Hope offering. We do the exact same thing in our church. And by the way, I think that's a button that you could wear this week that is not like I'm a Jesus people button. You know what I'm saying? What a great button. You don't need a tattoo. Wear that. Everybody loves that you care about the poor. But don't just say, yeah, I gave my money and I care about the poor. Tell them why you care about the poor. Tell him, you know what, I used to be selfish. I used to never think about doing something like this. But Jesus Christ saved my life, and now I want to take care of poor people, and I want to tell them that God loves them, and I want to take care of their needs. And I belong to a church that loves people and tells them about Jesus and the hope of forgiveness, but also gives them a sandwich and a blanket and clean water and hope for a better future. Don't just do nice things without connecting it to Jesus. We've got to share about Jesus. Let's not lose our passion. Now, let me tell you where um, this term comes from, Great Commission, because we know those scriptures of the Great Commission. Here's where the term Great Commission came from. In 1910, in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh, they commissioned eight people. They actually commissioned them, paid them, told them, like, here's what we're commissioning you to do. We want you to go out and see what God is doing in the world, building his church. We want you to help do this. We want you to go to eight different places in the world, then come back and tell us what's happening. And so the people came back from these trips, and they said, it's amazing. It's so great. It's so great that you commissioned us to go out there to share with the love of Jesus with people. It's so great that you commissioned us. You told us to go. It's so great that you commissioned us. And all of a sudden, they kept saying it over and over again, eight different reports, and they're like, that's it. It's the Great Commission. We are to go into all the world and share how good Jesus has been to us. The first word of the Great Commission, I love it, go, 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 go. Matter of fact, I tried to talk our church into renaming themselves from River Valley Church to Go Church. I just thought, that's such a cool word, go. And the whole church didn't go for it, but at least I got the kids' ministry named Go Kids. Because the way I see it, that's a Great Commission word, a sending word. They are like little arrows in our hand that we are sending towards their destiny. They are not meant to stay put. They are meant to be world changers and to go into all the world. I'll tell you something that's crazy that we've decided to do. We've asked God to help us raise up 500 missionaries from our church, 500 from just our body, that will give at least one year of their life to leaving America and going to the mission field and doing that. Right now, we're just under 100 in 20 years, 
And I said, we need to accelerate now and try because we are a go church. And you know what's interesting? The church people, you know, a lot of the people that are just typical church people were like, us a lot of missionaries. How are we going to do that? You know what was interesting? The marketplace business people were like, that's a great goal. I love that. Now I know why I have the money I have. Now I can give to kingdom builders to help change the world. If you find the missionaries, I'll help fund them. And I'm thinking, more faith from the marketplace than from the elders and deacons. Interesting. Go, 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 go into all the world. Little less than 200 times in the Bible it tells us to go. Do you realize that? Only 13 times it tells us to stay. And of the 13 times it tells us to stay, it's usually a regrouping. It's, it's huddle up, get charged up so you can get back to the going. It never tells us to hide. It never says that. It says go into all the world. And I'm telling you this, you're qualified. The biggest lie that the enemy tells you is you can't wear that sticker this week because what if somebody asks you a question about God that you don't know? That's the way the enemy does. What if you open up your mouth and invite somebody to church and then they ask you a theological question that you don't know, so instead of inviting and going and talking about Jesus, we say, I need to study more. I need to study more. I need more teaching. I need more uh, life groups, more Bible study. I need more teaching. And as soon as I have it all figured out, then I'll go and talk to people. Can I tell you, that's a lie of the enemy. Instead of ready, set, go, God says, go, ready, set. He changes the order, and you are qualified to go. Wear the sticker. Open up your mouth. If you get stumped by somebody, say, that's a great question. Why don't we both go to my pastor and ask the question? Stump him, all right? But don't let the enemy hold you silent. Get out there, open up your mouth and go and talk for Jesus. Because here's what I see. The very first missionary that Jesus sent out, think about this. The very first missionary Jesus ever sent out, if you read the Gospels, moments before Jesus told him to be a missionary, do you know what this guy was doing? He was living in a cemetery, naked, possessed by so many demons, they called themselves legion. And so Jesus goes to this man and delivers him from those demons, casts those demons out, gets him a change of clothes, puts some clothes on this guy, and all of a sudden the guy says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go to Decapolis. Those were 10 cities that Jesus would never go to. And he said, I want you to go to Decapolis, those 10 cities, and tell people how good God has been to you and what he's done for you and share your testimony. So the first missionary ever commissioned by Jesus, think about this, moments before, living in the cemetery, naked, demon-possessed, you are way ahead of that guy. <laughs> you are qualified. You are qualified to go and share how good Jesus has been to you. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. The moment you stop sharing about Jesus, here's what happens. All of a sudden, there turns an inward creep that starts to take place. Here's what happens. All of a sudden, you start thinking, I like my friends. I like us. I like this. And, I, and, and you actually start looking down on people 
that don't know Jesus. Well, I wish they'd clean up their act. I wish they'd get it together. But you, as you share Jesus, as you share how good he's been, grace just keeps building in you and oozing out of you. And all of a sudden, you're loving these people that are around you. And you are called to love them instead of get, getting inward focus. Now, I don't have time to read it all, but in Luke 14, this can be your homework. Again, I kind of messed up your small group, life group, but maybe you could modify on the fly because I really felt led to change to this message. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a dinner of a prominent Pharisee. They are having what we would call a network lunch. Okay, I like you, you like me, we work together, I buy from you, you buy from me. Hey, aren't we glad we're in the club, we all know the pledge, we're here together. And Jesus in Luke 14 says, guys, when you're doing a banquet like this, when you're doing a lunch, don't turn it into a network lunch. Invite the poor and the blind and, and the people that will never pay you back, that will never buy from you and can't do anything for you. Invite them to the lunch. That's the way God wants it to be. He wants you to bring everybody in. He wants more room for people at his table. And the people are like, okay, who invited Jesus? <laughs> like, doesn't he know we got the handshake, we got the pledge, we got the lunch. We do, this is not the way you do it. And so they're nervous. And you and I would never know this unless we really studied the text. In Luke 14, verse 15, here's what it says. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. So when we read that, we think like he's saying, that's great, Jesus, you're talking about lunch? That's awesome. But it's not what it meant. In their culture, here's what he was doing. He was saying, oh, I've got to change the subject. Jesus is talking about inviting poor, blind, suffering people to lunch, and we like us. And so he goes and does a toast that says, aren't we glad that we're not like those dirty Gentiles out there? Aren't we glad that we're going to eat at the wedding feast of God? Aren't we glad that we're chosen people and that God loves us more than he loves them? And they're all like, yes, yes we are. We're so glad that God loves us and we love us. And that's amazing. And so they're basically changing the topic on Jesus. Now, if you capture the intensity that Luke does as he gives us this record, it must have been shared in this intensity because right after that, Jesus goes into, no, it's like a, a man having a banquet and nobody comes to it and he wants people there. And so he tells people, go out to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in, grab them by the arm, get them in. God wants people at his banquet he wants people saved. He wants people to come in, and it's our job to go get them. Right after that, in Luke 14, we have the only account of the prodigal son. We have the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And if you put this all together, they're saying, here's to those of us that are here. Aren't we great? And Jesus is like, no. Here's to those that are not yet here. Here's to the people we need to reach. Guys, if you want to cheer anything, cheer that God put you on the search party. Cheer that he, he wants more people at his banquet. Cheer that we can go do something for God. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart I pray your church never loses. Never lose that. Build more buildings, add more services, start more campuses, reach more people. Have the attitude of, 
Here's to those not yet here. Here's to those not yet here. Lord, help us to reach the next one and the next one and the next one. I get accused at our church a lot of loving lost people more than I love saved people. And I tell them, that's not a myth. That's not a lie. It's true. I love lost people more than I love saved people. And they say, well, why do you say that? I said, well, saved people are already going to heaven. I said, they should be helping me find more lost people. Those are the ones we should be going after. And they're like, yeah, but you're a pastor. I'm like, welcome to the search party. Let's go find them. Let's go do it. That's the way I feel. Matter of fact, when we started our church, the Twin Towers were still standing. It was 20 years ago. And I sat our team down. There were three of us, three other staff and myself. And I said, what would we risk our life for? Let's do a test today. And whatever we'd risk our life for, that's what's going to be important in this church. And I said, so if the Twin Towers had a tightrope spread between them right now, what would you risk your life to walk across that tightrope for? And I said, would you risk it for money? No. I'm not going to walk across that for money. No way. There's not enough money. I could die. I'm not going to do it. Okay. Would you risk it for somebody that was saved, that knew Jesus? They said, hey, it's either your life or this guy. We're going to drop him off the edge. I was like, yeah, no, he's going to heaven. I'm not risking my life. Sorry. And you're like, that's horrible. Then they said, what if there was a lost person over there? They said, hey, this lost person or you walk this rope. I would walk that rope because I'm going to heaven and they're not. And I would risk my life for a lost person. So we said, all right, lost people matter to God in this church. And then we said, what if your kids were over there? I said, I would walk that tightrope. Okay, kids matter and lost people. At the end of the day, the only thing we thought we'd risk our life for were kids and lost people. Then we said, that's what's going to be important about this church. We are going to be about reaching kids, and we are going to be about reaching lost people. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what I want your church to have, lost people and kids. And how many know reaching kids is expensive, but worth every dollar of it? I told like our kids pastor, I said, your goal is try to have a vision big enough that I can't fund it. He's like, oh, that's awesome. And he's working hard to do it. But through Kingdom Builders, we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to expand our kids' ministry, to do outreach things. He came up with this the other day. He wants to buy a couple of these trailers that we can do backyard Bible clubs, pull them in, open up the side, and have sound system, pup stage, the whole deal, and just roll it right into a neighborhood and let people in their own neighborhood have these little trailers that you could do like a VBS and we could all sign it out in church. I'm like, great, let's do that. And he's like, I got even more expensive things. I'm like, one at a time, one at a time. All right. But we are about reaching lost people, and I love it. One guy in our church, Jeff, he's at our Faribault campus. It was our first campus. We had our, our main campus, then we had our first multi-site campus. Jeff really was an alcoholic in town and, and kind of a, a left-out guy, a loner. Came to our church, invited by a friend, gave his life to Jesus Christ on Sunday. Was so amazed by this, he called the pastor. He said, hey, I'm coming by the office tomorrow on Monday. He said, I'm bringing my mom and dad with me. I need to talk to you. He's like, Okay. So Monday, he brings them by. He said, hey, what you did for me at the end of service, doing that prayer thing? They're here. Do that for them too. <laughs> and so the pastor's like explaining salvation, all right? He gets a call from Jeff on Thursday. Hey, I got another one coming in today. So he brings it. Hey, what you did for my mom and dad for me? Here's another one. They're ready. Do it. You do it again. And the pastor was like, well, you can wait till Sunday. He's like, this is working fine. I'll just keep bringing them in. Because God had been so good to him, he couldn't help but talk about Jesus. I love that. 
I want to see us be that type of church where God help us bring in the next one and the next one and the next one because that's the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is I want to see lost people come to faith. And I can tell you this, God loves what's going on right now. God loves what's going on right now, that you're here, that you're getting charged up. It's like a huddle to get ready to break and getting ready to go do what God has called you. He's happy with this right now, but he is just waiting for you to go find his lost children. I can prove that with one last illustration here. Our oldest son, uh, Connor, we have Connor and Logan, uh, two boys, which, by the way, they're preaching today in Arkansas. They weren't planning out. They were going to do a youth rally tonight, and each of them were going to preach. And the pastor of the church got sick, so he called them at, like, 7.30 this morning, like, I'm sick. you got to preach. And so I have no idea how they're doing today. I can't wait to get the report later. And I'm sure they're using me as a sermon illustration for all the years I use them. How many know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> so when Connor was four years old and Logan was one, I brought Connor to the Mall of America. It's right by our house, 10 minutes away. Um, we used it to help potty train our kids. You know, if you do this, we'll take you to the mall, you know, the whole deal. Uh, parents get desperate when they're trying potty training. How many know what I'm talking about? And so I bring Connor to the mall. Logan's with Becca at home. And I, I just want to share briefly, Connor was born with autism. Okay? Now, I don't have time to go into this, but I, I feel like I want to share this every time I can because I want to give thanks to God. Our son was miraculously healed of autism, okay? Now, at the time this illustration that I'm going to share, he had autism, but God miraculously healed him. Now, I know there's some skeptics that immediately are like, what? I'm telling you, everything in his life was a train. He'd line everything up. He slept buckled into his car seat because autistic kids love that. He did not make eye contact with you. He'd only parrot back to you like, where are we going? Where are we going? The mall, the mall. That's all he did, okay? I'm just trying to explain to you. He was autistic. It was a normal day. We prayed after church, and God miraculously healed our son. After two years of praying for healing and giving up, one day he randomly heals our son, and our son is completely restored. Whole nother thing, but somebody needed to hear that, okay? And I want to say thank you, God. His healing power is still available. And I, I just, I, let me expand that. I just feel prompted of the Holy Spirit just to follow that for a moment. Pray in faith for whatever you're believing for. Whatever you're believing for, if you are believing for healing, let this line, this is now, this is eternity. Your healing is waiting for you in eternity. Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross. He paid for your healing, and there'll be no sickness in heaven, nothing. So all you're doing when you're praying for healing is you're praying for what is in heaven to jump the line into your now. That's all you're doing. Sometimes we pray, Lord, if it's your will for this healing to take place, it's his will. It's waiting for you in heaven. Now, I understand what we're saying. I don't know if now's the time, but why not go to prayer in, in faith like this? Hey, today, God, is today a good day for a miracle? Is today a good day for my healing to jump the line? If not, someday you will jump the line into that side of eternity and be in heaven healed and whole. But never doubt that Jesus paid for your healing and you can ask for it to jump your line. Okay? That was, again, I just felt prompted of the Lord to share that. Some of you need to hear that. You've given up on miracles that are waiting for you. Don't give up. It's waiting for you in heaven. There are promises that are yours grab those things and ask for them to move into your now and stop praying, well, maybe if this, instead say, maybe today's the day in faith I ask for what's secured in heaven 
to move into my now in Jesus' name. So have no doubt and pray. Okay, back to the sermon. That was bonus. That didn't... Again, when Jesus has been so good to you, how can you not talk about it? How can you not talk about how good? So I give God the praise and the glory for that. So Connor's at the Mall of America. Let's go back there. We're going to have him go in the bounce house. I'm going to have him jump in there, and I take his shoes off, and I go to put him in the little cubby hole, and I turn around, and Connor's gone. Now I think he jumped into the bounce house. So I'm thinking, that's great. He's in the bounce house. I go looking for him. He's not in there. So I'm thinking, he's playing hide-and-seek. He thinks this is funny. So I'm like, Connor, hey, buddy, you can go in the bounce house. I took your shoes off. You're good to go. I'm looking around. Can't find Connor. At this point, I'm like, where in the world is Connor? And I'm kind of like, Connor, it's not funny. And how many know at this point, I've got to decide, do I want to be cool dad or do I want to be desperate dad? I'm like, Connor is lost. And so I move into desperate dad. I'm like, Connor, Connor, Connor. I'm screaming for Connor. And I, I'm, I'm starting to run around the, the mall. I want him to shut down the mall. I'm like, Connor, Connor. And then as people would come up to me, they don't even know me. And they'd say, what does Connor look like? I'm like, he has a green and white flannel shirt on. He has no shoes on. And he's four years old. And they're like, Connor, Connor. They're screaming for Connor. As they're running away from me, I don't even know their name. But I'm like, I love those people because they're helping me look for my lost kid. Anybody that's not helping me look for my lost kid, I'm like, why are you not helping me? Connor is lost. And as I'm running around, my eyes are only on Connor. I am consumed with Connor. I will tell you this. I was glad that Logan was safe, but never not once did I ever go like this. Well, you know, Logan's safe. Connor's lost. You win some, you lose some. 50-50. I'll just go home, tell that guy I lost him, you know. Never. And again, thank God that you're here. Thank God that you're here, that you're safe. But right now, this is what God's doing. He's going, go get my lost kids. Go get my lost kids. Go, are you ready to go get my lost kids? Go get my lost kids. There'll be lost kids today at lunch. You could talk to them at the restaurant. You could wear your button. You could wear your button to work. You could wear your button. You could talk about me. It's easy. You teed it up with social good. Come on, go get my lost kids. That's what he's doing. And when I was running around, all of a sudden, on the corner of my eye, I saw Connor in that little Ball pit. Remember those little ball pits? They yeah, little plastic germ-infested ball pits. Yeah, <laughs> most malls have shut them down. You know, how many know? Isn't that just like a picture of sin? <laughs> People are in their germ-infested ball pit. Da, 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 da. They don't even know. I go jump it in there and I grab them out of that ball pit, and then I hoist them over my head. We found him, Connor. I'm high-fiving everybody. I mean, we're just like we found him. And he's still like, I have no idea what I did, you know. <laughs> and then I'm holding him like, don't ever leave dad or I will be. I mean, I mean, that's how I felt, you know. <laughs> and then, you know what I did? This is true. I said, you, you, do you want ice cream? Do you want, I mean, what do you want? I'm so glad you're found. And isn't that like a picture of the heart of God? He's like, now that you're found, I've got all sorts of blessings for you. I've got all sorts of good things for you. And when we enjoy the blessings of God, then we get back on the search party again. And we look for the lost Connors and Lisas and Sues and Julies and Sams and Toms and the lost Mohammeds and the lost children that God says, go find my lost children. I pray that that's your heart, that you'll say instead of here's to us, this church will all say, here's to those not yet here. 
So, Lord, I just pray that right now over this church. Here's to those not yet here. I thank you, Lord, that this service is full and there are so many people here. I thank you for that, but I pray that they would realize they are to be about the search party. Here's to those not yet here. Here's to those not yet here. May they love their life group. May they grow and learn. We never want people to be ignorant, but may they learn and speak about you. May they continue to compel people to come in from the highways and the byways and come into your house. Your house will be full, heaven full, hell empty. We desire to fill heaven with people, with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be looking for lost children. In Jesus' name I pray. Here's to those not yet here. Amen, amen.